Hello. Welcome. It's good to be together here. Um, I need to start my time up here. Um, similarly to how Pastor Joel started his time up here last week, he, I was on holidays last week enjoying the lovely outdoorness and family of Powell River. And um, it was just a glorious time. It was very hot. It was hot there like it was hot here. I think it was hot everywhere in the lower BC quadrant area. Um, but uh, Pastor Joel wished that it was hotter where I was. Does anybody remember this? It wasn't. <laughs> they have a lovely windows and a bit of an ocean breeze in Powell River, so low-key flex. It wasn't hotter there than it was here. But this Sunday we are um, praying for and hoping uh, the Pastor Joel and Sonia and family a uh, very restful and restorative holiday time. And uh, yeah, so he's on holidays today. And um, hi, Joel, because I'm pretty sure he's watching. Um, a couple weeks ago, we had three sermons, um, three short sermons, or three shortish sermons, um, sharing about the armor of God, and they were very powerful. If you weren't here a couple weeks ago, uh, tune in and hear Pastor Keaton and Jagan, our council member and intern for the summer, and Rose, our prayer coordinator, and well, all things really, um, share on the armor of God. And it's such a powerful and important passage of scripture that we're gonna spend a few more weeks considering it, considering the dynamics surrounding it, and considering the power and the, the strength that is drawn from this metaphor of armor. In Ephesians chapter six, starting in verse 10, it says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And then it goes on to talk about this armor and, and what this looks like. But it starts with this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Why is the word finally there? Because Ephesians is a letter. And it's like Paul's getting to the end of what he wants to say and he says, finally, this is just, you know, we're, we're, we're nearing the end. And I was thinking about that as I am someone who likes to write letters and notes and birthday cards. And I, years ago, I said to people, you know, it was Christmas card season and um, I'm just trying to figure out if this is going to get me in trouble. I'll, I'll go with it. Um, you can just, you know, buy a bunch of Christmas cards and just sign your name, and that's great. That's fantastic. If, like, if you take the time and the effort to put my name on a card and just sign your names to a card, that's great. I don't want to belittle it. But I said to the church, without thinking, I was like, if you're going to get me a card, put, put some words in it, because I love words. So just take a moment and write some words, and then sign your names to it. And... Uh, people took offense because there's a lot of people that just, you know, sign their names to cards and they're like, I was thinking about you. And, and I, I realized then that I'm not like every other person and we're all different and I need to appreciate that people are different. And I love taking time as I'm writing a card to somebody. And in the closing concept, the closing blessing, the closing whatever it is, I want to make sure that is conveying the punch, the heart, the essence of what I've tried to convey in the card. 
And that's what happens here. Paul's like, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And it goes on from there. It's an important part of our Christian journey to consider how are we strong in the Lord? How is our faith strengthened? The main point for today is that being strong in our faith requires maturing in knowledge and practice of when, who, and what to stand for. Being strong in our faith requires a maturing process. Elsewhere in scripture, our faith journey is described in different metaphors that mature. I started as a baby and I grew up. Started as a seed and I grew up. There is this maturing concept to our faith. And it's not just knowledge. It's not just understanding more of this scripture. It's understanding the scripture so that it is in practice through our life. It does me no good if I understand all mysteries and understanding of this text, but don't have the love of God flowing through my life. We need to grow and mature in our knowledge and practice of when and who and what to stand for. And that's at the foundation of this text in Ephesians. The first point today, stand against the devil's schemes. In Ephesians 6, 11, it says this, which is right after, finally be strong in the Lord. And then it says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now, for those of you that have pulled up the sermon notes or have looked ahead to the sermon notes, I was going to roll the devil's schemes into evil and just like lump it all, lump it all together because I just didn't want to stand up here and talk about the devil. But then that's irresponsible of me to bypass the very real enemy of our souls. So when I say stand against the devil's schemes, we need to consider some of the ways that the very real enemy of our soul is out to get us. We need to grow in our understanding of the enemy. But the funny thing is, <laughs> the more you come to understand, the more you realize how powerless the enemy is. The longer you journey with faith and the more you mature, there starts about to be this like curiosity or fascination or, or what is this devil? What is Satan? How, how much power does he have? And then you grow and you're like, really none. So, um, okay, God is fantastic and awesome and holy and powerful. And that's the maturity process of standing against the enemy. But we have a very real enemy. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9 says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. 
The enemy of our soul is prowling about like a roaring lion. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Elsewhere in scripture, Jesus teaches us in John chapter 10 that the enemy comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. And one of the abilities to identify the enemy's schemes means you can see the areas of destruction in your life where there are patterns or presence or thoughts that steal time and energy and effort and days that kill hope and peace and joy, that destroy relationships, that take things that are meant for good and make them not good. We need to stand against the enemy's schemes, which funnily enough means less like this and more facing God in a posture of worship, in a posture of learning and following and relationship. Standing against the enemy is less like bracing for, oh no, don't come nearer, don't come close. And more about, well, the weapons of my warfare are mighty. You just be quiet. You're trying to roar like a lion, but the lion has roared once and for all. So standing against the enemy's schemes is part of how we mature in life, identify where the enemy's afoot and mature in our faith and posture towards God. Point number two, stand not against flesh and blood. I know that English is a little sloppy here, but it fits the pattern of the sermon. So stand against, stand against. This point had to be stand not against flesh and blood. As we continue to roll through this text, verse 12 says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. I'm gonna repeat that. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is one of the biggest maturity points of my journey is realizing that the very real flesh and blood that is standing in front of me, annoying me, is not the battle. Anybody else ever annoyed in life? <laughs> I hear you laughing, yeah. A couple years ago, um, quite a few years ago now, I had this person, I don't know if you've ever experienced a person like this for you, but it literally got to the point where they would l just walk through the doors and I was annoyed, like zero to 110 annoyed in 1.2 seconds. I just had to see them. We had such a layer of misunderstanding and more misunderstanding and lack of appreciation and angry words that were just never resolved. And I, I could literally just see them and my day would be like automatically. And I was praying and fasting and praying and fasting and I went to my pastor and I said, you know, I just don't know what to do. He turned in scripture and he's like, 
Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. So let's look at the bigger picture here. And you need to take a breath and respond, not react. And at the foundation of my own leadership journey in pastoral ministry and, you know, just being a decent human is that conversation. I am not struggling ultimately against who I'm seeing. There's a bigger picture going on here. And that can be very, very hard to separate when the flesh and blood is so very present. But maturing in our faith means growing and growing and prayerfully considering how my struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the heavenly forces and the forces at work through my life from brokenness and all of these things that create the chaos and create the enemy's schemes. And maturing in my faith means not standing against the person and actually standing towards the person with a willingness to prayerfully consider the other options. 2 Corinthians 10, three through five says, for though we live in this world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. What often happens through our flesh and bones and this very carnal existence in this body is that arguments, messages, lies that are contrary to God's ways, that are contrary to the knowledge of Christ, flow through my mouth. <laughs> they flow through my action. And we end up in this place of conflict. And the maturity is that, okay, I need to take this action, this thought, this thing that's flying out of my mouth faster than I can actually capture it, and pull it back and make it obedient to Jesus. I need to stop, pause, time out. Whoa, what's going on in my mind? What's coming out of my mouth? Why am I feeling this way? Why am I thinking this way? What is going on? And the maturity process is taking that stuff and saying, how is this Christ-like? Jesus, show me your way throughout my life i have many many times taken people situations circumstances stuff that has been brought to my attention from my young young years i started young i was 16 and i remember being mentored by my pastor and one tuesday afternoon every tuesday afternoon for many years i would meet with them and one Tuesday afternoon, he said, Jen, I have to tell you something. And I was like, okay. And he goes, you have got to stop rolling your eyes at the boys. I'm like, but they're dumb. 
And he said, fair enough, but you can't roll your eyes at the boys when they answer dumb questions. You can't. You have to stop. Jesus wouldn't. You can't. <sighs> okay. Do you know how hard it is to not roll your eyes? If you've, <laughs> I don't know, grown up with a sense of, but you're wrong and I'm right? <laughs> oh my gosh. Over and over and over, I have to make my thoughts, my eyes, my words, my actions obedient to Christ. Because my struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's towards connection and unity and growth and community, not against that. That's the goal. That's our goal. Point number three today, we stand against evil. Ephesians 6.13, as we continue moving through here, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. I just really like this fan. <laughs> I just had to pause. It has nothing to do with the sermon, but it just keeps blowing this fresh little sense of air. And I tell you, those lights are warm and this fan is lovely. I know Joel didn't need a fan. <laughs> he loves the heat. I am not one of those people. <laughs> so I am quite enjoying the little movement of air and I'm sorry if you are sitting there stifling. <laughs> I'm really sorry, I realize that's kind of rude. Um, Therefore put on the full armor of God so that you, in the day of evil comes you may stand. Sometimes the question is asked, well what is evil? What is the day of evil? And quite simply, the easiest way to say is that everything contrary to God and his ways, evil. Everything contrary that sets itself up as contrary to God and his ways, we are standing against that. And similar to the way we stand against the devil's schemes, it's not so much about evil, evil, evil stand against. It's Always a posture of God, connection with you, relationship with you, prayer, focusing on strengthening this relationship and rooting out evil, walking away from evil, breaking patterns of evil, bringing to awareness points where the enemy has been involved in my life or I have been involved with things that need to be prayed through, prayed over, Broken, I've dabbled in the, I haven't personally, but if there's been patterns of practicing tarot cards or Ouija boards or dabbling in the occult, some even have experienced through astrology and reading of those kind of things. If I've dabbled in the works of the enemy, there are points where I need to stand against it in prayer. But even in that, if we've prayed for people for inner healing and deliverance and all of those things, it's praying against the enemy, but it's always fill, release, restore, God. Do these things in the places where the enemy has taken a stand. God, restore. God, heal. 
We stand against evil by letting go of unhealthy words, unwholesome deeds, unhelpful thoughts. I think it's interesting to me, in the last couple weeks, I've heard a number of people that have deleted various social media apps off their phone, or have stopped watching the news, or have stopped doing things that put them in the way of other sources of information. One was quite young, and I, I asked, well, does that make you feel like you're separate from your friends who use Instagram all the time, or who use, you know, various other things? I won't say them, because that'll probably date the sermon, <laughs> but... And they said, if it does, that's sad, because this isn't community. And so if I'm feeling like I'm disconnected from my friend, I call them and we go for a walk. And I was like, you're 14. <laughs> okay, can I have you come and talk to some of the adults in my life? Standing against evil is about growing and letting go of the things that separate us from God, separate us from one another, separate us from wholeness. Finally today, point number four is stand in the full armor. So 6.13 sets us up with, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then. And then it goes into, with the, dot, dot, dot. Stand firm then with the. We're not gonna get into all the armor of God today, but that whole idea of stand firm then with the full armor of God. I get asked a lot, how do I put on the armor? How do I know I have the armor on? How do I know if it's like fallen off and I need to put it back on? To which I've often said, you're taking it too literally. I love what Jagan said a couple weeks ago. He said, we put on the armor by spiritual formation. That's the beautifully succinct understanding of the armor of God. The armor of God isn't something we put on in a way like got my breastplate on, got my helmet on. It's the process of relationship with God that develops the righteousness before God, that anchors and secures the salvation, that operates the gospel of peace through my life, that teaches me how to yield the sword of the Spirit and what it looks like to stand in faith with a shield about me. It's the time spent with God developing relationship when I started in church, in Sunday school, um, neighbors invited me uh, and my sisters to come because children are often more easy to invite to church. And I remember in my early stages of Sunday school, one of my teachers, her name was Mrs. Schmunk. And Mrs. Schmunk had a Bible that was fat. And the, the like, spine was like this, but the pages were like this. And it, it, 
it sounds like to this day, which is like going on 35 years, the sound of those pages, the sight of the tear stains, the underlined, the markings, the dates that went back and back and back, the bookmarks. It was before the days of post-it notes, but the, the juice that was in that Bible, I wanted, and I didn't even know anything about it. I was all of like six, seven years old. And I remember getting my first Bible and I would open it and I would take the pages and I would scrunch them up. And surely that's how that happened. And I would look at the pictures in my Bible and I would just, it's not a kid's Bible, this is the full on New King James Version. Like, who thought that was a good idea? I beg you, who? Um, but I, there, to this day, none of these Bibles have a lot of markings because I'm not really a Bible marker. You can do you, and I can do me, so I don't really mark my Bible. But I remember being at Sunday school one day, and I was like turning the pages aggressively, and she said, that's not how it's done. It's done by time. Your Bible doesn't look like this because of anything that you do, except to come to its pages. And time after time, as a young kid, I honestly, I, like, I stood there yesterday as I was pulling out these Bibles and I'm like, who thought this was a good idea? I never had a kid's Bible. I don't have a kid's Bible on my shelf. I'm like, I went from zero to New King James Version. This is my faith journey in a nutshell. And then this next Bible here, this one's falling to pieces because my earliest years of preaching for 20 years, this Bible was used, and it pages fall out. And it is worn, it is torn, it is juicy. And then I got this one, and at my last church, I had to say, I need a new Bible because its pages are falling out. It's the New International Version. <laughs> this is New King James. I'm like, okay much more understandable. How do I put on the armor of God? You spend time with the Lord. And it grows where I don't have to question, do I have my helmet of salvation on? No, I'm firmly and strongly planted in the Lord. I'm not worried. I am in and I am walking out the salvation of God. We need to be people who are growing and maturing in our understanding of prayer, of scripture, of worship, of community. I remember starting in church and the pew was like this and I was like this and I would look around and there's all these people that would raise their hands and it just seemed to be on cue, like you hit the chorus or put on the garment of praise, like people just knew it and they'd put their hands up at the coordinated times and I remember being a kid looking around going, okay, when my hands are like this on the pew, then I'll raise my hands. I had no understanding of worship, no understanding why they did this, why people put their hands together, none. Maybe you need to remember that there's a point of your faith that, you know, you didn't know as much as you know now. And you don't know as much as you're gonna know as you continue to journey with the Lord. 
But I remember thinking, well, why, why do we raise our hands and being a person that would ask questions? Hey, pastor, why do, why do people raise their hands? Why do people clap? Like, why do we do this? We need to be people who are maturing in our faith. It's about strengthening where we're at and pursuing all that God has for us. Where are you at today? What has stood out to you from the songs, from the scripture, from Megan's calling us to remember prayer and the simplicity of it and the necessity of it? Being strong or gaining strength in our faith requires maturing in knowledge and practice of who and what and when to stand. And it's progressive. I'm gonna invite the worship team and Rose to come up. We're going to participate in communion together and as they're making their way here, I wanna pray for us. I wanna pray for myself and each of us here and online that wherever we're at, we would have the sensitivity to know what God's calling us to. Where do I need to stand? Where have I maybe fallen down? Or where am I facing the wrong way and I need to restore the posture of, yeah, the enemy sucks. Yeah, the world is brutal. Yeah, there's a lot of bad going on. But God, what is one thing that turns me towards you again today? Father, you are so very good and caring and loving, full of hope and grace, full of mercy, and full of truth. Today, God, we posture our hearts towards you. We turn our attention towards you and trust, trust your conviction. We trust your revelation. We trust that sense that just kind of maybe came alive at various points of scripture or song or Megan's testimony, God, those things that come alive in us, God, we, we want to follow that. We want to mature in our relationship with you. Would you show us? Would you lead us? Would you guide us? Would you reveal any areas that we need to stand in today? And would you refresh every weary area, every area that might feel like I've tried and I don't know if I can try again. God, would you just breathe fresh hope there, especially in relationships that are challenging. God, would you breathe fresh hope today that as we dust ourselves off and stand up again, that there would be a new strength new faith, new awareness of what obedience to you looks like. In your name, Jesus, amen.